Last Sunday, we learned about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And he was praised and honored and glorified by the people of Israel. They hailed him as king. This was truly a day of victory. Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. I am not sure that we will fully grasp the power of what happened that day, this side of heaven. Then it was just a few days later that Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, who was Judas Iscariot. And one of the things I'd like to take a look at here briefly before we even step into today's message is take a look at the Last Supper. The Last Supper, I believe, happened like just the day before Good Friday, so Thursday. And uh, they were sitting around the table with each other, and they were uh, just having a meal together with Jesus. And this time, we know this is during the time that the communion was established. Jesus said, this is bread, and, uh, and, and this is the cup. And these two elements, the bread and the cup, represent the, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus, and the cup represents his shed blood. And he said he will not drink, uh, eat of that bread or drink of that cup again until he returns and drinks it anew with them. But you see, it is amazing to see some of the things that were established in just this short period of time from when Jesus triumphantly entered into uh, Jerusalem to the Last Supper. Uh, also, in the Last Supper, several things happened also. Jesus prophesied that Judas was going to betray him. And he even acknowledged that in front of Judas, and Judas still betrayed Jesus. And then also he uh, prophesied that Peter would deny him three times, which we learned through the scriptures also that Peter did deny Jesus three times. But you know, a few days after Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and he was crucified. The enemies of Jesus thought that they won on that day. They thought that they finally got him out of their way once and for all. But in reality, Jesus' death on the cross was his primary purpose for being born. It is through his death that our sin debts are paid. And, the, and glory to God, he gave the greatest sacrifice he gave the greatest sacrifice anyone could ever give to another person. He willingly laid down his life so that we could have life. He laid down his life for us, sinners, so we could have life. But, you know, that's not the end of the story. For today is another day to rejoice for the believer because we know that Jesus did not remain in the grave. For today is the day of victory for the church. It is a day, it is a mighty day of victory where we stand and shout from the mountaintops that He is alive. The King has risen. Death could not hold Him down. It could not hold Him. His tomb is empty and His body is not in decay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our loving and gracious King has risen from the dead. We have victory in Him. From this day forward, death shall not rule in the life of any believer. We will reign with Christ. Hallelujah. We are the children of God, and He is our God. Glory. Hallelujah. We are free Indeed, free from the body bondage of sin and death. The sting of death no longer can touch us. We belong to the King. He is alive and we have victory in Him. Glory to God.
It is a mighty day that we have here today. A mighty day. The King has risen. We serve a living God. The one true God. He is alive. He has risen from the dead. And He has ascended into the heavens. And He is going to return for His church one day. And we can take and, and have rest in that, knowing that he's coming back. We will have peace, we do have peace, and we will always have peace in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is the one true God who can save every soul. I'd like to take a minute now, right now, and go to Isaiah chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. I'd like to just give thanks to the Lord. And verses 12 through 6 gives us an opportunity to use the words of God to give thanks. Isaiah chapter 12, starting in verse 4, says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done, and proclaim that His name is exalted. Brothers and sisters, we can give thanks always for what God has done for us. We know what He's done. We know what He's accomplished on our behalf. We know He paid a sin debt that we could never pay. And not only that, He didn't just remain in the grave. He rose from the dead so that one day we also will be able to be raised with Him. And we can and should proclaim His name to anyone who will hear us. We always should boldly speak the name of God. Boldly speak for what He's accomplished for us. Boldly tell people around us why we have the hope that we have within us. But we always have to do that, brothers and sisters, with gentleness and respect. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. God has accomplished glorious things. Not for Himself. He's accomplished glorious things for each one of us. He was resurrected from the dead today. He was resurrected. He lives. And He will always live. He will always reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one true King of His people. No one has ever been King over His people except Him. Yes, we have had human rulers in this world, but he will always reign king. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Those are some amazing words that we can lift up to God and just glorify Him and praise Him and to remind us of the work that we have to do as believers to go out into the world and to make disciples. Not just make converts, but make disciples, teaching them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We all have that responsibility as believers. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 make it very clear that we are to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that Christ has taught us. That is our responsibility as believers. I'd also like to take a moment and go to Psalm chapter 30, starting in verse 1. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And have not let my foes rejoice for over me. O Lord my God, I cry out to you, and you healed me. You see, God wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to draw near to Him. 
and it starts at the cross. We can draw near to him at the cross. We can confess our sins. We can know that once for all our sins have been paid. We no longer have that burden. We serve our resurrected king. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is for but a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, brothers and sisters, God will allow us to be tested. God will allow us to be disciplined and corrected because God will correct and discipline those that he loves. But you know, he has mercy. It only lasts for a time. And then he restores us and we can have joy in the morning that he is our God. But you know what is amazing? is that no matter what we're suffering, whether it's our fault or not, whether we're going through the trials because God wants us to suffer the discipline for what has happened and what, we, what sin we have committed. But you know, brothers and sisters, even through that discipline, we can feel and experience the love of Jesus Christ our Lord because we know that one day we're going to be standing in presence of the Lord Almighty, saved, renewed, with a new body, we are going to be in the presence of him with our glorified body. And we can thank him for that. Let us take a moment now and go to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. John 20, starting in verse 1. We're going to the empty tomb. We're going right to where they discovered him and found out that his tomb was empty. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have put him. First, I'd like to take a moment and let us understand that the Bible always records things as they happened. And it is not convenient for a woman to discover that the tomb is empty first in those days because the testimony of a woman was considered to be invalid, was not recognized. But Jesus made sure that it was the woman who saw the tomb was empty first. So she realized that the stone had been moved. But at this point, she still did not understand that Jesus has risen from the dead. She thought... He was taken from the tomb. She ran and told the other disciples, Come, somebody has taken Jesus from the tomb. So Peter and John took off running towards the tomb. And John getting there first, but Peter, being the bold one as he always has been, went in first. You remember, just a couple days earlier, Peter denied Jesus three times. I wonder what he might have been feeling at this point. Not only did he betray his Lord, but now he's going into the tomb where his Lord is no longer at. What was running through his mind? What was he thinking? So then Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. 
as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Peter was always the bold one, wasn't he? He was always the one who spoke out first or stepped up first or ran into a situation first, wasn't he? I'll give you a couple examples. He was the first to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of the living God, the Christ. He also boldly proclaimed that he would never leave Jesus or forsake Jesus. He would never betray Jesus. He would never turn his back on Jesus. And then Jesus told him... Peter, you will deny me before the rooster crows. Three times you will be deny me. And he did. But you see, Peter spoke out boldly. That's just the way Peter was. He spoke what he was thinking. And then he cut off the ear of the soldier also, didn't he? I mean, he was standing up trying to defend Jesus, and Jesus scolded him and told him, Stop. That's not your place to do that. And Jesus put the ear back on the individual. But here is the thing that we can take and understand that Peter, even after he denied Christ, was showing love for God. He ran. He wanted to see what was going on. He was, I can imagine, really upset that Jesus was not there. Somebody took his body because he, realized, he did not realize that he had risen. And he went into the tomb, but he didn't see the body of Christ, but he did see the linen and the burial clothes there. But then John entered... And he saw the clothing folded and separated from the linen. And it was very interesting here. Because if you look at this, there had to be care taken to fold the burial cloth and to set it down. So Jesus did not depart this tomb in haste. He took time to fold his burial clothes and to set them down. It is as if, is, is if he wanted the disciples to realize he was not taken, but rather he has risen from the dead, that he has come back to the earth. And then also, the grave clothes being in the tomb serve a key purpose, at least in my understanding, a key purpose to give us good reason to know that Jesus wasn't taken, that his body wasn't stolen, because there was a plot to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. We know that the Jewish leaders paid the guards to cover up the fact that Jesus was resurrected. Rather, they wanted people to believe that his body was taken from the tomb to appear that Jesus rose. They wanted to be able to say, oh, they just stole the body so it appears that he rose, but he didn't really rise. But that's not the truth of the matter. And Peter and John saw the linen there. And if somebody was going to steal the body of Christ, they're not going to take time and unwrap the linen and take time and fold it up and then steal the body. And another interesting thing is the stone that covered the tomb was not a stone that would be easily rolled away. And yet the stone was rolled away. But notice in verse 8 that John saw and he believed. What did he see and what did he believe? You see, the stage was set for the appearance of the resurrected Lord, which would erase all doubt whether the resurrection had happened or not. And it is 
to Mary Magdalene that Jesus appeared first. You see, John recognized the folded clothing and he believed. He believed that Jesus rose. I believe that he was still processing it in his mind, but he believed. He saw and he believed. Then in verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she began to look, she, she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know why they, and where they have put him. You see, at this point, Mary still did not realize that something supernatural occurred. She had not recognized yet that the men that she was addressing there were angels sent by God. They were trying to comfort her. They were, in essence, telling her that she doesn't need to cry anymore. There's no need to cry because Jesus is not dead. He has risen from the dead. He is our glorious King who has been risen. But before she had the opportunity to even consider the angels or what they were saying to her, let us go to verse 14 and see what happens. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus was standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she tor turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Good news that Jesus has risen. She said, I have seen the Lord. Could you imagine her running back to tell her brothers, I have seen the Lord. I touched him. I saw him. I made eye contact with him. He talked to me. And he told me to come back to you. Could you imagine the joy that was flooding her soul right there? Brothers and sisters, that's the joy that we should experience right now for what Jesus did for each one of us. He went to the cross and died, and we could mourn his death. And at the day that he was resurrected, we can be glor gloriously happy and full of joy because of what he had done. And he rose from the dead, and we know that we are serving a living king. You see, and that's what happened. Mary went to them full of joy, and she shared what she experienced and what Jesus told her. And we know that over the next several days that Jesus went out and he made appearances all around with, uh, with other believers. And we also know that he restored Peter and all, all of the good things that have happened after the resurrection. But let us take a moment now and go to 1 Corinthians 15. Brothers and sisters, what is significant about the resurrection? What is the significance of the resurrection? Well, first, we do not serve a God who is dead. He is risen. 
He is alive. He holds victory over death. Jesus came, Jesus overcame our last enemy, which is death. We will be raised from the dead and receive glorified bodies free from sin and decay. Let us take a moment now and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and beginning in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, flesh and blood and decay and our bodies get old and worn. There is no decay in heaven. Flesh is muddled with sin and cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You see, we're going to enter into the kingdom of God in victory. In victory because of the work that Christ did at the cross. See, we have been renewed in spirit. Not in flesh, but in spirit. We have been renewed. And one day we will receive the glorified body that God promised us. And starting in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Brothers and sisters, we are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. God is going to remove this old, dead, decrepit flesh from us, and we are going to receive a new body, and we are going to be in the presence of God forever without sin, without burdens, without troubles, without hurt, without pain and suffering. We will be in the presence of our loved ones. We will be able to serve Him and worship Him together in community and in body, for we are the church. For this incorruptible must be put on, must put on incorruption. For the corruptible, I'm sorry, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And that's what's happening here in these verses that we're seeing. Mortality is becoming immortal. So when this corruptible has been put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we believers in Christ are no longer slaves to sin. We are free to live without the bondage of sinful living. And because of His resurrection, we shall rise with Him. We shall receive bodies restored, glorified, and pure. We will no longer carry the weight of sin and darkness. We will forever, forever live in the light of Christ. We will reign with Him forever in eternity. He will be our God, and we will be His people. We are redeemed. We have much to celebrate today, for He has risen and He has conquered death. Where is the sting of death? O Hades, where is your victory? 
See, we have victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Through his great love for us at the cross, we have life and have it in great abundance. Let us praise him with all our might. Let us dance for joy. Let us glorify his great name. Jesus, how wonderful the name of our Lord Jesus. Let us close with a psalm of praise to our Lord and King. And it's in Psalm 150. And it goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with soundings of the trumpet. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everyone that has breath praise the Lord. Glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord, for He has accomplished great things on the behalf of every believer, on the half of, behalf of everyone in the world. If you are a sinner and you want to know Christ and you want to be lifted of the burden of that sin, you no longer have to carry that sin with you because God has made a way at the cross that each one of us can release that sin from us. And we can come to the cross and confess our sins and know that Jesus Christ is our Lord, that He has forgiven us, that He has paid a sin debt that none of us could pay. We do not have to carry this burden any longer. It is our choice if we choose to carry the burden of sin because God has made a way through Jesus Christ, the one true God. He has made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we can have life and have it abundantly. We do not have to suffer with sin any longer. We can serve a living God who is ready to accept us into his family. And he leaves the choice to us. Amen. Glory to God. I praise you, Lord. We all worship you. We lift our hearts to you and glorify your holy name, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We glorify your name.